You're listening to the Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisedchurch.com. Come on, can we give him a big round of applause? That took a lot of boldness. Last Sunday as well, my son, he was the cute one with glasses. And... Um, we were standing next to Cecil. I don't know if he's here. He's second, come second service. And um, we were praying for healing and Cecil raised his hand and uh, Israel and I went over and laid hands on him and uh, Cecil's back got instantly healed. No more pain. And uh, we didn't know at the time, but after, I went to Israel afterwards and I was like, Israel, Cecil's back got healed too. And he's like, well, yeah. Because why wouldn't God just do what we asked him to do? And I, I believe that when Jesus said we should have faith like a child, that's what it looks like. We just complete expectation. Like when I pray, God hears my words and he's going to do it. And he is, he is greater than sickness. And uh, if you didn't, if you have kids and you've never brought them on Tuesday nights to our promise kids, I'm telling you, you are missing out because like they teach our kids how to hear the voice of God and how to prophesy, how to lay hands on the sick and how to have faith for them to be healed, how to tell people about Jesus. We do not believe that there is a junior Holy Spirit, but we believe that no matter how young you are, you can live like Jesus. And that we're going to raise up a generation of young people that stomp hell everywhere they go. Amen. Amen. Also, if you helped out yesterday at our back to school bash, we gave out presents to whatever it was. Christmas gift giver. What did I say? Back to school bash. Praise God, it's quarantine. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we gave gifts to like four or 500 kids, um, 400 kids. And uh, there were 19 people that got saved yesterday. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So if you helped, thank you. We are so excited about what God is doing, has been doing in our community. And um, we're, we're excited for 2020 to be over. Praise God. And for 2021 to start. All right. Grab your Bibles and turn them to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 this morning. Praise God. It's Christmas. Uh, in the Christofferson house, it's been Christmas since about the first week of November. Um, so we've just been enjoying it. For some of you, welcome uh, to the most wonderful time of the year. Um, I decorated the outside of my house around November 10th. Um, praise God. Uh, we got our Christmas tree before Thanksgiving because it's just Christmas, November and December, except for one day, which is Thanksgiving. Uh, and we eat turkeys and watch football. And then is Christmas once again the day after. Amen. 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 I see a couple of red shirts out there. We're looking good. People dress extra nice for Sunday on Christmas. Uh, it's, it's one, no ties. Is any, there's a bow tie. I saw a bow tie earlier, but is there any ties in church? Dorsey, praise God. You weren't a tie. If somebody is watching online and wearing a tie, you have an extra crown in heaven. So Luke chapter two, verse eight says this. Now they, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory, everybody say glory. Come on, say it like you're a preacher. Glory. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of good, great joy, which will be to all people. 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This is a story that many of us know we're very familiar with. So many unique aspects of this story. The angels come to the shepherds and they say, we've got great news for you that will cause you to have great joy. The story of Jesus should cause you to be excited. There should be joy in your life. And if you are a believer, you should look like it. Some of you should tell your face that you love Jesus. Like there should be joy bubbling up on the inside of you because he is joy itself. And that news is good news. And some of you need to stop listening and watching other news and stop listening to the good news, which is Jesus came, he died, and he rose again, and that should cause joy to come up from the inside. And then he says, this news is for all people. Another great message just in that phrase. It is for everybody. Doesn't matter black, white, nationality, ethnicity. Doesn't matter rich, poor. It's for the person that you don't like. That's who it's for. It's for the person who voted for the other old white guy than you did. It's for the person who votes differently than you. It's for the person who's in the Middle East trying to destroy America. It's for the person that you hate. He came for those people. He came for the homosexuals. He came for those rioting in Portland. He came for the prostitutes and the drug dealers. And he came for actually for you who needed it just as bad as everybody else. You are no greater than who they are. It's for all people. And then the angel says this. This is how you will know that he is the Messiah. This is the sign. This is the sign that this is the Savior. You will find him in a manger, in swaddling clothes, in a dirty, smelly, stinky barn. That's how you will know that he is the Savior. Not because of the crown on his head, not because of the choir of angels singing above the manger, Like we all have the nativity scene of this random angel. That's not how you will know him because he, have you ever thought about that? Like it's just wrong. You see, he's in the field. They're not over the manger. Anyways, how you will know that that is the savior is the fact that he is in a manger in swaddling clothes. Now the Jewish people, they have been reading the Old Testament for years. They'd been preparing for this moment. They'd read all the prophets. They'd been taught for years about the coming Messiah who would deliver the people of Israel. And if you read the Old Testament, the way that the the Israelites were delivered time and time again is there would be somebody that would rise up, somebody like Moses who would rise up and come and be the deliverer. There'd be a great battle and people would die. And then there'd be a great victory and celebration because this is what they had expected. So they were anticipating some great warrior coming on a great white horse with an army with them and they would come and defeat the Romans and deliver them from being in slavery and being under oppression from the Romans. This is what the Jewish people had been waiting for. Yet Jesus came in a manger in a dirty, smelly, stinky barn. And notice this, which I don't have time to talk about this this morning, but he came in a manger, a feeding trough. Because he is the bread of life. 
And he said from the beginning, how will you survive this life? What will be your sustenance through life? It will be me. I am your bread of life. And Jesus left heaven, left the garments, left the robes, left the gold streets, left everything to come for you. And the angel said, this will be the sign that he is the Messiah. What is that sign? That sign is humility. That sign is the great King of Kings and the Lord of Lords coming as a baby in a stinky barn. That's your sign that that is going to save you. Now, my wife and I, we, every year, uh, we wrap presents for our kids. And um, normally I wrap her presents and she wraps all the other ones. Um, And I didn't know this, but there is a right way to wrap presents. All you men, there's a right way. Yeah, somebody, somebody knows what I'm talking about like that back there. There's a right way and a wrong way. And I didn't realize you can get professionally trained. My wife, I found this out this year. She was trained by a professional gift wrapper. That's cheating. That's not fair. Now, the part of the problem is when I wrap the presents, by the last present, I have refigured out how to wrap presents. But the, then I got to wait 12 years to apply the lessons again. And I forget. <laughs> this is starting off rough. 12 months. <laughs> We've been, we haven't even been married 12 years yet. COVID. We, we can blame everything on COVID. What was I talking about? Yeah, yeah, we've been wrapping presents. So what will happen is I'll generally bring the kids up for moral support while I'm wrapping. Just to help me feel good about the process. Like, you wrap it, Israel. Oh, it sucks? Okay, let me do it. Now let me show you how it's done. <laughs> and that's not true. Uh, so, <laughs> so what we'll do is we'll just start wrapping the presents and, you know, stuff tears. And then you just take a little extra piece of wrapping paper and you just put it over and you tape it. That's what every guy does. Like, no one cares. Just make sure they don't know what it is until they unwrap it. No one cares how good of a wrapping job it is. And so then what we do is we bring it now. We, we have heard from numerous people that you wait. How many people wait until Christmas Eve to put the gifts under the tree? Anybody do that? Oh, there's many of you. You're weird. No, we put them right when we wrap them, baby. It's like, hey, son, anticipate this for three weeks. Like, you're going to get to open it. Like, and you don't know what it is. Unless it's Legos. Then we wait till the night before because they'll shake it and they'll know. So what happens is we put all the presents underneath the Christmas tree and our kids that we have a nine, seven, and three-year-old and they'll organize them by color coordination, by size and weight, by who they're for and they just start inspecting them. And needless to say, they're always like, these are mommy's presents that she wrapped and these are daddy's presents that he wrapped. I'm like, how do you know, son? Because these look terrible and these look absolutely amazing. And I'm like, son, I sneezed while I was wrapping that paper. Like that, I would have wrapped it really good, but I had a cold, COVID. And my kids can tell when my wife wraps the presents. In fact, every present we give to anybody outside of our home, she wraps them. So they think that we wrapped them, basically is how it works. And this is what the Jewish people were expecting. How do you like that for a segue? (laughs) That was smooth. (laughs) Jesus, help me. 
is they were expecting a present wrapped like my wife would have wrapped it. Yet it looked like I wrapped it. It looked like there were tears, like, God, you had a bad day when you were planning the west wing of the hospital getting used, and it was full, and there was only room in a barn. And Jesus says, it wasn't on accident that it came that way. Like, it wasn't like I had a bad wrapping day. I actually intended to come in the most humble of ways to show you how to model your life after me. Jesus says, you want to live like me. You want to look like me. It must look humble. Jesus left everything to come as a baby for you. And yet for some reason, as Christians, we think what Jesus is looking for from us is perfection. What we think that he wants from us is a man of strength, of power. Underneath this jacket are muscles. You don't know, but I'm flexing right now. We think that Jesus wants a person with their dignity and their reputation. And yet Jesus symbolically destroys all sense of dignity in the moment he is born in a manger. He leaves every ounce of dignity behind, every ounce of comfort, and is laid in a bed with hay. And yet we believe that we've got to try to preserve. If you're a guy, you, you want to try to give this impression that you've got it all put together, that you've, you're strong and you're secure. But yet he's trying to tell you, I don't want any of that. I want somebody who was vulnerable. I want somebody who was humble. I want somebody who was dead to self. I want somebody who has laid everything of theirs down so they can receive everything of me. Jesus came to abolish your comfort. He came, amen, glory to God. Praise God, that felt good. I'm so thankful. Jesus came to abolish your comfort. Christianity is not the gospel of comfort. Church is not designed for you to feel comfortable. If you're visiting here today, we did not create a Sunday morning experience to give you comfort. Jesus did not come to create a gospel of comfort. And what comfort does is it lies to you. Comfort tells you that you don't need to change. Comfort tells you that it's okay to stay the same way you've stayed for years in the struggle with the same sin year after year after year to allow compromise in your life and to settle and to allow yourself to be victimized by worry and anxiety and stress to deal with pornography and lust all the time to, to have these, these insecurities and comparing yourself to people and to deal with shame and condemnation all the time and we allow compromise to come in we don't realize that actually what happened is Jesus destroyed all of that at the cross but we just choose to carry it along with us and create a place of comfort when really it's a place of terrible despair but we create it as comfort it's like comfort food it'll kill you comfort will kill you comfort will kill you and so at the promised church, our desire is to not create a place where you feel comfortable, but to create a place where God feels comfortable. And that place probably does not look like what you think it looks like. It probably does not look the way that you think it looks like. A place where God is comfortable means that you are dead. The gospel is merely about death to self and becoming alive in Christ. 
That is the gospel. It is not about you feeling good about yourself and coming into worship service so you can get something. It is about coming in and lifting up his name so he can get your praise. And when you put your eyes on him and off of yourself, all of a sudden you receive him and not you. But when all you do is stare at you and your problems, you get more of you and your problems. The gospel of Jesus is, is for you to lay down your life and to receive him. He painted an amazing picture for us on a cross, naked. This is the king. He didn't change after he left the manger. He stayed humble the rest of his life. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Then he hung on a cross naked with his skin ripped off for the whole world to see. And he did it as a picture of what you and I are to do every day. The Bible says, daily, take your cross and follow me. Why do you take your cross? Is it for you to get a great workout from your cross? No, it is so you can die on it every day. The gospel of Jesus is not about you. It is all about him. And when your eyes focus on him, you begin to receive all of him, which is joy, which is peace, which is provision, which is restoration, which is hope, which is love, which is everything that he is, and you receive it. But it is not about you. It is all about him. And humility says, it is not about me. Humility says, it is all about him. It is all about him. The sign that Jesus was coming was the humility. I would have thought it would have been like he came out talking. That would have made a little bit more sense. Or the first baby to never poop. He's, he's God. Like surely that could not come from him. Like, or it would be something spectacular, but no, the sign was... The humility. That was the sign. Notice it doesn't say, and a sign. And the sign will be this. Now, my wife and I, when we first got together, we got together around, or we, we got engaged around the holidays. Or I think it was the day after Thanksgiving. Yes. See? And uh, it was glorious. It was so awesome. I loved it. And uh, that whole season, especially right after we got engaged, uh, we had all family holiday parties, Christmas parties, Thanksgiving, New Year's. And I remember going to these parties with her. And if you've ever gotten together with somebody and then you go meet family, like it's, a, it's intimidating. Now her family, there's like 50,000 people in it. She's one of nine children. They're not Mormons. And all, of, all extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, they're all pastors, which was fantastic marrying into that family. So great. And super intimidating, and you go to these family gatherings. You've all done it before, so you only laugh because you're the same. And you spend all this time trying to make sure you look good. And picking out the right outfit. Does it feel weird that a guy is saying this right now? Not really, thank you. And making sure, like, it's all right, like, hair's good, spend the extra time Whatever you got to do, because you know that if you look good, you will impress them. Like, that's the expectation. If I look good, like, if, the, if everything's on point, if I smell good, my hair's right, they're going to think I'm right for this girl. And then when you show up, nobody even mentions your clothes. 
They don't even care. And you're like, hello, I spent money. Spend time on the hair. All they want to do is ask you the deep questions like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Married. That's all I'm thinking about right now. Just married. Did you notice the outfit? But we do this and we, we, you know, you've all done it and all you are going to all these Christmas parties and you're wanting to make sure you dress nice. Like even before church today, I, had, I picked out an outfit for my son and she's like, Aaron, it's Christmas Sunday. Get those clothes off of him. Right? It's like we do this. We, you know, for certain holidays, we're trying to look good. And th- this is what we do almost every Sunday morning is we come into church as a Christian and we try to hide everything underneath by spending extra time covering up all of our problems, all of our issues, all that sin, the thing we watched last night, the frustration in the car, driving to church with the kids who wouldn't be quiet, we try to cover it all up so no one notices any of those problems. When all the while, no one cares about the extra work you put in to fake it. They don't even notice you. Because they can all see through it anyways. We think that if we happen to create this impression of reputation and dignity and strength, that that will impress people and that that will impress God. And actually what we do is we're just like the Jewish people in those days where we're waiting for God to come, even today, in today's climate, to say, I'm waiting for God to come with a great and mighty sword and defeat darkness, and he's going to tear down the political structure, and he's going to rebuild his kingdom, and he's going to come on a great white horse with his army, and the world's going to be won and saved. And we're waiting for this mighty warrior, and all the while Jesus is standing there behind us saying, I'm right here. Oh, but God, when you come, you will defeat darkness. And he's like, I'm right here. And we're waiting for Jesus to come and look like something that he's not. And I believe that Jesus is available if you'll just go away with him. If you'll just just sit down and talk to him. And recognize that He's not looking for somebody with class, perfection, reputation, and dignity. He's looking for somebody who will set it all aside and be, I'll be foolish for you. Like David, when he comes in with the Ark of the Covenant and he's dancing in his underwear. And his wife is standing, looking through the window out, and she begins to judge him and criticize him. How dare you act like that? You are king. And David says, I will be even more undignified than this because he realized that Jesus wasn't after a man of dignity. He wasn't after a man of reputation or strength. He was after somebody who would simply be himself and be vulnerable before the Lord. And maybe you're, you're listening you're like, well, God would, he doesn't want to know what's underneath in my life. He would be ashamed of me. Jesus not only understands what you're going through, he's been there. He's been forgotten. He's been neglected. He's been ostracized. He's felt what you have felt. And those feelings of, well, if I let my guard down, what are people going to think about me? What will they think if I tell them that my marriage is a mess? What will they think if I tell them how my kids hate me? 
What will they think if I tell them that I'm doubting my faith? Or what will they think if I tell them that I'm just angry and I'm struggling with pornography and I'm, uh, I have all these issues? What will they think about me? And if you can get through all those worries and concerns about what, what man will think about you, there is a God who is desperate to love you and embrace you and bring freedom to your life. He's not intimidated by your problems. He's not intimidated by your sin. In fact, what he's looking for is a people who will be intimate with him. Now, for all you married people here, it is incredibly difficult to be intimate with somebody when you're fake. It's incredibly difficult. You can't be intimate when there's this, this facade that you're creating and and yet we do that with the Lord as we'll come into worship service. And many people have come into church here, many new people, and they're, and they're like, we, we came in and we felt the presence of God in a way we've never felt it. One lady, Charlie and I were, my seven-year-old went and got a mani-pedi together because I'm a man. And uh, daddy-daughter date. It was amazing. And, uh, uh, what was I talking? Oh, and the, the woman... I was just reminiscing. And the woman who was doing it, the woman who was doing it has come to our church. And so we're talking about Jesus and she's like, I came. And the first time I came, I cried till 5 p.m. that night. I could not stop crying because I never had encountered the presence of God like I did there. And maybe many of you have had similar experiences where you come in and you can feel something is different. You can feel the presence of God. It's because we are not here to put on a show. We're not here to play a game. We're not here to put on a facade. We simply want Jesus. And so actually what you're saying is you come in and you are encountering Jesus. That's what you're encountering. Nothing fake. See, what happens is, is, we get through Halloween and we go to Thanksgiving and then it's Christmas time. But the problem is, it's actually Halloween like every Sunday. People coming in with masks on, trying to hide their problems, living their life with masks on, trying to not let anybody know what they really are struggling with. And they've got costumes on to try to deflect than what's really going on the inside. All the while, it looks like one thing on the outside, but on the inside, you're just dead. You're just hopeless. You're hurting. You're in pain. You're frustrated. You're in fear. You're dealing with pride and insecurity. And it's time to remove those masks. When I was like eight years old, um, my family, we had a dog and his name was Bullet. He was a beagle. And uh, Bullet was a fat dog. And his belly was like one inch off the ground. And um, he, he was in, stayed in the backyard, but he would kind of come into the kitchen sometimes. And one Christmas, we, we went and got a Christmas tree. We cut it down, we brought it back, we put it in the backyard. And as you do, you, you come in and you rearrange the furniture just to make space. And uh, we grabbed the tree and we brought it back in. We set it up and we started decorating it. And then all of a sudden, we noticed an odor. This beautiful aroma. And what had happened was that beautiful, loving dog peed on our Christmas tree while it was in the backyard. And when we brought it in, that smell of dog urine just fumigated our whole house. And rather than taking the tree and throwing it out and getting a new tree, we went and got pine saw air freshener and sprayed the tree to try to cover up. And then we went and got the car scented Christmas trees and we hung it like ornaments from the tree to try to cover up the smell of urine. 
And you'll be shocked that it didn't cover it up. We just got used to it. You couldn't get rid of the smell. We just got used to the smell of pee all the while we spraying and hanging car air fresheners. And this is what the world sees Christians doing so often. You smell like pee, but you got air freshener sprayed all over you. Praise God, that's a great analogy. We got a bunch of pee-smelling Christians with ornaments hanging from their ears, trying to cover up the smell of urine on your life. You act like hell, but you try to look like heaven. The gospel of Jesus is not to make you comfortable and do whatever you want. It's so you die every day to where sin no longer has its hold on you because Jesus, if you didn't know, ain't a baby in a manger anymore. He rose out of that manger and he lived for three years as the son of God. He died on that cross and he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And sin is defeated and you can live in victory every single day. But you've got to realize that God died so that your comfort could die. And so you would stop hiding behind all of your fake facade and all of your reputation and your dignity and be just to give him your life worship worship you should be the most extravagant cheerleader on planet earth in worship think about it for a moment not the pom-poms and the skirts or the underwear in david's case you're a cheerleader celebrating what god has done praising jesus the last time I checked, losing my dignity in worship looks like something. Losing my dignity in life looks like